0: Well, it's good to be back with you, Harvest, and uh, thank you, Pastor Allen, for the opportunity to share the word this morning. Uh, I know that uh, that is quite the privilege. Um, Pastors don't like to give up the pulpit, uh, typically, but thank you for your trust and the opportunity to be before you. Uh, It's been a few years, and... um, uh, a few pounds uh since the last time uh we were here uh but it's always good you all are sort of like a uh, second family to us in fact uh, i was in the hotel room the other day and my wife uh, said gary if um if anything ever happens to you uh i might end up back here in uh at at harvest and uh, i got to thinking about that if if anything ever happens to me uh, what type of uh, conversation starter is that You know, um, I said in the first, I mean, you're you're not going to be able to tell my wife this, but, you know, at 45, I'm not really thinking those thoughts. But I guess when you turn 46, as she is, maybe you start thinking about what happens to you. I don't know. But if if one day, you know, you turn on your TV and you see on Dateline uh, that there was a missionary couple and, uh, and a man went missing, you guys heard it first here. She took me out so she could be with you guys. Put her under church discipline or something, but um, no, it, it is a, a it is a joy to be here. You guys are so hospitable, you're so loving. It's been great to be able to have some meals, share fellowship around some meals um, uh, with uh, several uh, several men this week, and appreciate that. Appreciate uh tom and coordinating he's sort of been my agent uh throughout he's been uh, sending me texts and you're good you're gonna go here you're gonna go here you're gonna eat here i he even took me to a hole-in-the-wall restaurant that he loves uh in a gas station and it was uh uh it was good some good uh uh, uh good mexican food we enjoyed that really enjoyed the talks um you know enjoyed uh, with Pastor Shelby enjoyed the opportunity also to to go to a uh, sort of a dinner and and hear uh, Dr. Tony Evans preach as well I, I took somebody's seat i don 't know who I took, but uh, thank you for giving it up for me uh, so that I could go along i mean it's just it just feels like we can plop in for a week and uh, be a part of family and thank you for your love thank you for uh, your grace thank you for your generosity through the years uh, you all have just been tremendous. Uh, you've partnered with the work, you've prayed for the work, you've invested in the work, you've sent your own teams uh, for discipleship training, for women's ministry, uh, for college. I mean, the college group came down and uh, we tried to kill them in the sun, but uh, we couldn't kill them off. And they they did just a great job. They had such uh, great attitudes. Uh, they were there to work and to join us in the ministry. And, uh, you know, when I was talking about that uh, that group before, um, before they got there, I was telling my secretary, she said, oh, that's harvest? They're like one of our favorite groups, and and she was so excited. You all, you all have a name in our ministry. Uh, we uh, we recognize that when harvest comes down, uh, they're going to be well prepared. They're going to have servants' hearts. They're going to uh, want to join in the work and have great attitudes. And we've never had uh, a bad harvest group. And so um, I see a couple of uh, several of them that were there this summer. And so um, I would just say thank you, thank you, Harvest. Um, if you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Now what we're going to be looking at today is when Jesus, when Jesus is the multiplier. And we're going to be looking at the only miracle that is recorded in the four Gospels. In all, four, in all four Gospels. And John 6 will kind of provide our main text, but we will look to other texts in order to fill it out. Now, here's what I want to share with you this morning. Uh, we're in a... The world is in a lot of darkness, if you haven't noticed. There's a lot of division, there's a lot of strife, there's a lot of conflict, there's a lot of hurt and pain and suffering you put all that together, and the environment is, well, it's just dark out there, spiritually speaking. But I do believe that one of our finest hours before Jesus comes as a church could be right now. I mean, the world's at each other's throats. I mean, it really really describes... Things that are going to come in, in greater fruition, and you know, after we're raptured out. But I mean, this is a dark time. If there's ever a moment for the church to shine the glorious light of the gospel, I mean, this is a great time to do it. And this story, we will end up. This story gives us some understandings that's important for us to apply to our lives. So. The first thing we're going to do is is read it. Then I'm going to give you sort of four signposts. And I'm going to show you where this is placed in the timeline of, of Jesus with his disciples. And then the very last thing we'll do, it'll be the last few minutes, is we'll actually go for some application. So I'm not going to overly apply this to our lives for the first 25 minutes or so. We're just going to study the, the passage, try to get an understanding. And if we get a good understanding, well, then I think it's just going to start, you know, it's sort of like tender meat that just falls off the bone. Then, then you'll just start seeing it and you'll, and you'll say, oh man, this applies to me. So hang with me. It's a familiar story, but it's, a, it's, it's got a tremendous application for us. John chapter 6, we'll read verse 1 through 15. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed Him, because they saw His miracles, which He did on them that were diseased. Jesus went up into the mountain, and there He sat with His disciples, and the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up His eyes and saw a great company come unto Him, He saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread, that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here, which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down and number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten then those men when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did said this is of a truth that prophets should should come into the world when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king he departed again into a mountain himself alone Uh, this is the the scene here is a is a hillside uh, near Galilee. We have a, um, it's a time of Passover. In John's John's account, there are three Passovers that are mentioned specifically in, in, in John. Uh, John chapter 2, we see that Jesus is presented as the temple that would be destroyed and raised again. In John chapter 6, we have Jesus presented as the bread of life that must be given for the world and is ultimately the satisfier of the soul. In John chapter 11, uh, near the time of His death, we we see the glorification, the time for the glorification of the Son. And so there are three Passovers that sort of uh, provide framework to uh, John's account. And this is the second Passover uh, celebration. Um, and we see four signposts in this story, four, four things that I want to set out for you this morning. Uh, one is it's an impossible problem. It's an impossible problem. The second thing we see from this story is that there is sort of an impaired perspective, impaired vision. Uh, the, the third thing we can see is that there's an intrinsic perspective, um, someone in this story has a sort of a different viewpoint. And and the fourth is we see an immense provision. An immense provision. And and those are sort of the four legs of the, the stool or the chair this morning that will first lay the groundwork. Then I'll show you where this is placed in the story and why I believe that's significant because once we put all that together, well, then we can try to think about our own lives. So I would just ask for you to... Just, follow along open your hearts in fact let's just go to the word I'll just go to the lord today before we carry on and just ask him to move upon our hearts lord we just ask for you to speak to us through your word give me clarity of thought lord help this not to be about me lord help no one see me in this Help us just to hear from You through Your Word and Your Spirit to apply to our lives when we get to the end what it is You want us to do in faithful obedience. God, it's no accident that we're here. So Lord, speak to us now through Your eternal Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we see, first of all, That there is an impossible problem. It says in in verse 5 here that there was a great company. In verse 10 it says that there were 5,000 men. Uh, If we consider the possibility of children and and, and, and wives or girlfriends, uh, we probably have at least 20,000 people, conservatively. You know, if it was just a men's conference, okay, 5,000. But even at that, you know, we think of of 12 disciples and Jesus, and really one of the disciples is not on the same page as we know, so you really have 12 people trying to meet an impossible need. There's a huge multitude, a huge company of people. Now look, we get a little nervous as the coffee pot runs a little bit down, uh, and visitors still coming in, or the donuts or the cookies uh, uh, start running out. We, we, we Hey, where, where's those donuts? We get, a little, we get a little concerned, but imagine being in front of of at least 5,000, maybe 20,000 people, and it's just a band of you and 12. I mean, basically, how many people were on the stage this morning, and those guys are going to feed 5,000, maybe 10,000, maybe 20,000 people in total. I would say that classifies, humanly speaking, as an impossible problem. You ever have an impossible problem? you ever have something that just seems like this isn't going to go? Ever find yourself in a pinch? Ever feel like you're squeezed? An impossible problem. Well, we see an impaired perspective. How we look at our problems, well, reveals a lot about us. And we see uh, an impaired perspective. Look... Look at the perspective of Philip in, in verse uh, 5. Jesus asked him, "...when shall we buy bread that he may eat?" Verse 6, and, "...and this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do." This is sort of like a laboratory in the school of discipleship with Jesus. This is, Jesus already knows what he's doing. He's going to give him a chance to give the, give, the, give the right answer. Philip answered him and said, "...well, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them." that every one of them may take a little you know philip sort of did a cost analysis a pennyworth was a day's wage out in the out in the countryside for manual labor and he says that 200 days wages wasn't was not enough to to take care of this impossible problem i mean that would be about 8 months worth of salary and so you know philip is much like us i mean He's kind of calculating, hey, we just, yeah, its just not there, man. It's just not there. Even if we had eight months' salary, we couldn't meet the need at hand. He kind of did a cost analysis. And in the end, Philip, well, he says, yeah, we just can't do that. Now, Philip, he's a third disciple that Jesus called. You see that in John chapter 1, 43. He brought Nathanael before Jesus. In John 14, 8, he's going to say, show us the Father. And so if I, when I think of Philip in this passage, I think of Philip as being the guy that says, show me the money. And what he's saying is, the money's not here. You ever been in a place like that? Huh? Hey, are you with me this morning? Yeah. You ever been in a place where the money's not there? Yeah. And you're kind of concerned about how you're going to pay the bills? Yeah, yeah we've been there. Look what Andrew says. Andrew, uh, verses 8 and 9. Andrew pipes up. He's the brother of Peter. And he says, verse 9, there's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But n- note his comment. There's a lad with five, five, loaves, two bar- five, bar- five barley loaves, two fishes. But what are they? What are they among so many? You know, I think uh, Andrew was sort of doing a a resource analysis, where Philip was concentrated on the cost, he's concentrated on the resources. He says, "There's only there's only five loaves and two fish." But how can that help with a multitude? How can we meet the need with that? Sometimes we have that tendency. We look at it what we have in our what we have in our bank account. It's not the the cost that's so prohibitive. It's the fact that we just don't. We just don't have the money, or we don't have the time. Or for many of us, we just if we're quite honest, we just don't think we have we just don't have the ability. And so, you know, the work of missions and the and the work of the church shining the light, well that's there's other people that's a little bit more involved because quite frankly, I'm just sort of on the sideline. I don't have the money, I don't have the time, I just don't have the ability. Impaired perspective. Now here's what's interesting about this story. We find out from another account in the Gospels. Matthew 14, 15. Of a more common, a more convenient perspective. Perspective. You know where Philip's thinking about the cost, Andrew's thinking about the resources. Note Matthew fourteen, fifteen. If you don't have it, you can you can listen. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place. The time is now past. Notice what it says. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals or, or food. Do you hear what they're saying? It's not our problem. That's their problem. I mean, Philip at least, and I think John gives them a little bit of love, Philip and Andrew, because at least he says they're trying to grapple and they're kind of looking at it and, okay, well, them away. we had eight months' pay. We could maybe, no, no that's, that's just not going to do it, man. Eight months is not going to do it. Uh, here's a lad with, with five loaves and, 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 and two fish, but what are they among so many? But apparently, according to Matthew's account, another perspective was, Hey, it's not our problem, Jesus. Send them away. Let them take care of their own hunger. Isn't that our tendency too? When we look at people? Isn't that our tendency to just sort of think, well, that's their problem? That's not my problem. I mean, they should have packed a ham sandwich, and they didn't. In contrast to the impaired perspective of the disciples, notice the intrinsic perspective of Jesus. John 6, 5, it says, And when he lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company and a multitude come unto him. But I want you to notice something, that Jesus... Not only notices the people he interprets what he is seeing, and I would say this: many people look, but few people see many people look, but few people see. If you want to test this out, just catch yourself how many times when you see a you see a beggar or you see somebody that's walking on the street you You kind of, you know that they're there, but you don't really see them as a person that needs help. We look, many people look, few people see, and and what we see with Jesus is his intrinsic perspective of Him. It it comes because this is who He is. He sees people in a way that the disciples don't quite see Him. And look at Mark 6, 34. It says, Jesus, when He came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them. Because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd, and He began to teach them many things. He cared not only for their physical need, Jesus cared for their spiritual. And so when Jesus looks and He sees the reality... He's moved with compassion, and and look what he does. It's Jesus that proposes the solution, and we get this from Matthew's account. Look at Matthew 14, 16. Jesus says, they need not depart. Give ye them to eat. Isn't that incredible? I mean, Jesus could actually take care of this right now. But he tells the disciples, you all give them... To eat. Why do you think Jesus did that? Why do you think Jesus is asking them to come up with a solution and they, they, they don't? I mean, most of the guys are like, well, oh, that's their problem. Send them away, Jesus. It's late. They should have brought their lunches. That's not our problem. Philip and Andrew, kind of looking at the cost, looking at the resources, but at the end of the day, they, they don't know what they can give. Why do you think Jesus tells them, hey, you give them something to eat? Can you imagine how overwhelming that would be? What do you think Jesus is getting at? What do you think Jesus is trying to teach them? He's asking them to do an impossible thing. He involves His disciples in the solution. When I look, we we see the fourth leg, fourth signpost. We see an immense provision, and the provision reveals the purpose of the miracle. I think we see in John chapter six ten. He says, "Men make the, make the men sit down." Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, and number about five thousand. Says in verse eleven that he took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were sat down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. So Jesus meets the need through his disciples. The boy supplies the five loaves and, and two fish. Jesus supplies the miracles and the disciples get in on what Jesus is doing by organizing and distributing the miracle that Jesus has performed. Isn't that good? Isn't that good, church? I mean, can you imagine the Twitter feeds and the social media blowing up? We'd be, hashtag, we'd be multiplying over here. Jesus be fancy like five loaves and and two fish. I mean, Burger King has nothing on King Jesus. I mean, can you imagine today if Jesus physically multiplied the loaves and the fish and fed a multitude? It would be it'd be all over our social media. And again, we come back to why is Jesus doing this? It's beyond just giving them a picnic. And that's what I want to get at. That's what I'm trying to get at is take you a little bit deeper in what Jesus is doing here and how that story so long ago applies to us today. We're getting there. Mark 6 adds a detail. Mark six forty says that they sat in groups of 50 and groups of 100. Interesting, the year 50 is the year of jubilee. don't know if that's the significance here, but that's when you're set free. Debts are all taken care of. But having them sit in groups of 50 and 100, what do you think that, that represents? I, I, I see several things. One of those is I see sharing and communion. It's a beautiful thing when, when people sit down. They're organized in groups of 50 and 100, and they're sitting there and they're sharing a meal that, that Jesus Christ has provided this miracle. What a picture of unity and togetherness. The other thing I, I see here is I, I see Jesus providing as a shepherd. And Jesus had compassion because they were sheep as without a shepherd. Mark 6, uh, 6 39 and 40 says make all, all the men sit down in groups and it adds this part on the green grass. Now in John's account it's just grass but in But in Mark's account, it's green grass. And and when I think about, okay, Jesus seeing the the, the, the people as sheep without a shepherd, uh, let them sit down on the green grass. You know what I think of? The 23rd Psalm The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Just a little nugget, just a little detail that Mark includes. But Jesus is revealing himself to this multitude as a, as a shepherd of the soul. He'll guide you to the green pastures. The third thing I, I see here in, the, in making them sit down in this way is, is Jesus is him, uh, presenting himself as a satisfier of the soul. Look at, at John 6, 12, when they were filled or satisfied. He said unto the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. You know, God abundantly provides, but He doesn't waste provisions. He abundantly provides, but He doesn't waste provisions. And it speaks of the absolute satisfaction and fulfillment of Jesus Christ because in Christ. Because later on, He's going to use this story to, to reveal Himself as the bread from heaven. And just like God fed the Israelites with the manna, Jesus Christ is the sustenance, He is the fulfillment of everything that you need on the inside. What your soul longs for, and what you keep trying to fill it up with other things, and other distractions, and other trinkets and toys, only Jesus can bring satisfaction and a joy as the bread of life. And so he's a shepherd of the soul, but he's also the satisfier of the soul. I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6 on the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's possible they'll be filled. Is that what your Bible says? Hey, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus, on this hilly landscape, around the time of the second Passover, is revealing Himself to be the bread of heaven. It's an impossible problem because people are hungry. There's 5,000. They're outnumbered. They don't have the the, the cost is too high. The resources are too low. Uh, It's really not the problem of the disciples. Send them away. Let them take care of it. Jesus looks at them. Jesus uh, not only looks, he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion on them. He asks the disciples, hey, you all give them something to eat. I'm sure they're looking at each other like, how are we going to do that? Jesus takes the bread, he breaks it, they start distributing it, and the disciples are part of a, a great provision. And Jesus tells them, hey, make them sit down in groups of 50 and 100 on the green grass. And so they sit down on the green grass. It shows the, the, the sharing and the communion, the togetherness, the unity that's possible in Christ when he shows up. It shows that Jesus is the great shepherd. He'll guide you to the green pastures. Side the still waters, and it shows you that Jesus is the ultimate satisfier of your soul. Now, here's what I want to show you. Sort of what Paul Harvey used to say the, the rest of the story. Why, why is this, what, what's so important about this story? It's included in all four Gospels. The only miracle story that's included in all four, not counting the resurrection. The only miracle that Jesus performed in all four accounts. In Luke, I believe, is the answer. Because there's something in Luke that's not in any of the other accounts. In Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 3... Jesus calls his twelve disciples together. He he gives them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He tells them not to take anything with them. That's Luke 9, 1 through 3. In Luke 10, verse 1 through 12, 1 and 12, this, this account is only contained in Luke. So we don't get this from Matthew, Mark, and John. We only get it in Luke. And, and look, in and, and Luke 1 and 2, after these things, Luke 10, 1 and 2, after these things the Lord appointed over uh, other 70 also, and sent them two and two before His face, and into every city and place whither He Himself would come. Therefore He said unto them, that harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the harvest, that He would send forth laborers into His harvest. So, In Luke 9, he's sending the disciples out on a mission. Luke 10, he's sending 70 out and telling them, hey, the the harvest is plenty, the labors are few, pray. But what is sandwiched in between these two missions? This story of the provision for 5,000 people, for 5,000 men. Why is that important? Jesus is also, while He's also revealing Himself as the bread from heaven, as He's also meeting the physical need, He's also teaching His disciples in the school of discipleship, He's teaching them to depend and trust on Him for the provision necessary to do the work. And so when He says, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, they would have had this memory of what He did on the hillside. That would have been in their heart, and they're like, yeah, I remember when we didn't think we could do anything about that. And we, and, and we, we gave it over to Jesus, and, and look what Jesus did. So now when we have a need, we, we go to Christ, and we pray to Him. It is significant, because Jesus wanted to teach these disciples absolute dependency upon Him for the provision. Now, now we can come to some application. All that, I mean, that's a man, that's a long introduction to get to what's what's in it for me? What's in it for me? We got like 10 minutes. What's in it for me? I want to give you three statements. I'll share a little bit around those statements, but I think you'll find that these are true to how we've looked and studied this passage this morning, of what really went on in that hillside, what was the purpose, what it taught the people, what it taught the disciples. Number one, how we see people, how we see people reveals how we see God. Don't talk to me about your religion. Don't talk to me about your doctrine. How you see people reveals how you see God. Are you with me this morning? There was a man in the college group. I think he helped them. I don't know if he helped them or not. I guess I need to ask the college group. But there was a man named Pablo. Pablo. I don't think I ever told the college students the, the backstory. Pablo grabbed a paintbrush, I think, while they were out painting and started painting with them this summer. Is that right? Is that, am I remembering the story correct? Yeah, old Pablo. Here's a backstory on Pablo. A few years ago, Pablo would come and he'd be hanging around the church, church would dismiss. People would always tell me, Gary, uh, Pablo, he's like he's crazy in the mind. You can't reason with him. You can't do anything with him. He's a drunkard. He's a, he, but he's crazy in the mind. So, okay. So one day I, I'm preaching uh, the 20, 23rd Psalm. Okay, the Lord is my shepherd. And I'm I'm breaking it down and all that. And I I, I do a little cross-reference over in in, in John 10, but I don't read the verses in John 10. And so after the the message, I'm out greeting people. And so I go out on the street. There's Pablo. And Pablo says, hey, Pastor Gary. And so he's, you know, we're talking. And and so um, he starts quoting to me. I asked him, I said, Pablo... Uh, did you get anything out of the message today? I'd seen that he slipped dead, and he said, "Yes, Jesus is the Jesus is the shepherd." And so then, in, from John 10, Pablo starts quoting verses that were in my notes that I knew that I had not read. I had just referenced the, I had just given the reference, but he starts quoting this, and I'm thinking, now wait a minute. Everybody has told me that Pablo is a weirdo, spaced out. He's just, he's just a, a, a drunk, but just not just a drunk, he's a crazy man. But I'm thinking to myself, what crazy man starts quoting John 10? And so I say, well, Pablo, I said... Um, and so I tried to think, oh, how could I test this out? Because I don't know what I'm dealing with. Everybody, I mean, all my counsel, everybody around me said, he doesn't know anything, he's, he's a crazy man. Stay away from him. And so I... And for for and to my shame, for many months I did. But in that conversation, he starts quoting John 10, and I'm just I'm just floored. And so I try to think of the most impossible thing for him to remember. I think so. I, I tell him like Pablo, uh, could you come see me on Tuesday at 11:17? You know, thinking that if he's not all there, he's gonna he's gonna totally. You know what happened on Tuesday? Here comes Pablo inside the church, goes to the secretary and says, "I have a I have an appointment with Pastor Gary." My secretary's like, "What?" He says, "Yeah." And he was all proud about it too. And so Pablo he comes inside. I mean, he smells of he he sm- he really he I mean he smelled of of everything that, that 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 encompasses of being out on the street and and all that. And he sits down there in on, on the chair. And we just start talking. He starts quoting, and he starts guiding me. He's like, hey, turn to Isaiah. Hey, turn to uh, uh, Revelation. And I'm just, and I'm going through this little conversation with him. And you know, he doesn't, he's certainly not applying everything he's telling me correctly. He's not interpreting everything he's telling me correctly. But the scripture memory of that guy was pretty incredible and pretty impressive. I mean, he was walking me all through the the Bible. And so I was trying to uh, move him off of his agenda and sort of uh, bring, Christ to him where he needed it. But what impressed me was, was that somewhere along the line in Pablo's life, and this would be a prayer request, pray for Pablo. Somewhere in the life of Pablo, he put scripture in his heart. He's not following it. He's not obeying it. He's not, you know, he, he he has struggles, obviously. But that woke me up. That sometimes we judge a book by its cover sometimes we write people off. Every Sunday we have women that come into the church to be part of the service and they're, they're, they're somewhere in that transition from being on the street and working the street to trying to find a new life. They're rough around the edges. They don't always, when they bring their kids in, they don't always know how to control their kids. Sometimes we have to lovingly assist them and help them. But we have to look at people as Jesus sees them. I mean, so often my tendency is to judge people. My, my tendency is to say, well, that's their bed. They made it. They need to lay in it. That's, my, that's kind of my default. Hey, decisions have consequences. And they do, and I'm not negating that. But guys, we've got to see it past just being a a, a consequence, and we've got to see it just past being a, a Republican or a Democrat thing. We need to start seeing people, as Jesus sees them, lost sinners in need of the Savior and the bread of life. Man, I don't know, I don't want to stir any hornet's nest up here, but in the Dominican, I don't know how many people have tried to Tell me about YouTube, I need to watch this YouTube on the, about whether masks are help or they don't help, or whether or not you need to get the vaccine or not to get the vaccine. And and, and so people are so consumed with all this and, and the cabal that's controlling all the world and, and you got to be a Republican or no, you got to be, it is crazy. And I'm thinking, man, people are dying. Give them the light and the bread of Christ. That's what we got to focus on. That's why we're in the world. So, how we see people reveals how we see God. Jesus saw them as a shepherd, as a sheep without a shepherd. Now, we'll advance past some other things that I have, but. The second thing I want to tell you is responsible stewards partner with God. Responsible stewards partner with God. See, this is much more than just giving a picnic on a hillside. Jesus was doing something then, but now we can all get in on this. We can all be like the lad that has five loaves and two fish. We can all get a part of that. In fact, I would say that God wants us to be a part of that. Responsible stewards partner with God. All Christians are disciples, good or bad. You really don't become... A, you're not just a disciple when you get their certificate. I understand we do the same thing. We, you know We want to encourage that. But all Christians are are considered disciples. So the question is, are you a good one or are you a bad one? And I would say that all disciples are stewards. Are you a good steward or are you a bad steward? stewards a word that we use for administrator. So God has gifted all of us with certain things. Spiritually, we have spiritual gifts, talents, abilities, experiences. But God has also given us some sort of resources... It's all different for every one of us, but all of us have a little bit of money, a little bit of time, a little bit of talent to be employed in his mission. Man, if, 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 if you're not using your life for, for, for God, where you're at, why, why are we even here? I mean, there's got to be more to life than just living it up. For 70 years and then die and, and be put in a... And, 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 and you know that's a great equalizer is death. Rich and poor, they go to the same cemetery often. And you can't tell the, 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 the net worth of, of either one. We're here because we're part of a mission of God. And responsible stewards partner with God. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, Gary, why why are you giving? Why are you giving? You've already you're going. I said it doesn't work that way, man. I don't see I don't see that God calls some to give and some come to go. Really, I see that God God calls us in some way all to go and all to give. All are called to give and all are called to go. Now, the specific location might be different. It might not be cross-culture. It might not be a call to ministry per se, but we're all called. We're all asked. We're all commanded to get the the light and and the bread out. Third thing I would say is this: In his hands, in his hands, meager means are multiplied to make maximum impact. Little is much when God is in it. You say, I I don't really have a lot of skills, Gary. Well, I'm not who you need to be worried about. You say, "I I don't have a lot of resources, man. Things are really tight. I got you. How can you read this story and not say that Jesus is the multiplier? How can you read this story and not apply it to yourself and realize, you know, God, uh, I just have five loaves and two fish, but here they are. I don't have much money, but I want to get in on what you're doing through the church. We say in our, in our church back home, God didn't give the church a mission. God gave the mission mission. A church. And we exist to carry out the mission of God. I mean, Christ died on the cross, and we're, we're, we're sharing the bread with all who will take. And you know what? It doesn't matter your resources, it doesn't matter your limitations. My parents were just, man, I was the first person to graduate from college from my family. We didn't have a whole lot. My dad worked hard to, I mean, I'm remembering, I mean, he bought a little bit of property, built a house. We lived in that. One thing I always noticed growing up is that my dad and mom gave of themselves to the local church. They gave money, money that we could have spent to do other things, I mean, we, we had a good life, but they invested. They partnered. And their little was put with other people's little, and it was multiplied. Meager means are multiplied in the hands of the master to make maximum impact. Look at this formula. I'm not a math guy. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a good math guy, but... According to this there's what's called the order of operations, and so you do a plus b first, and that number then comes out and is multiplied by the whatever number the x is. We got that? I got it right, right boy, that'd be embarrassing to get that wrong boy that would I'd never live it down so let's let's think about a let's think of a being u, and let's think of b being the collective of Harvest Baptist. And whether we're talking about your time or your your talent or your money, we all have a little bit of that. Okay, we all have a little bit of that. You're A, harvest, greater harvest is B. So the question is, is what will you put in Jesus' hands? You don't worry about B. Don't worry about what your neighbor is doing. You worry about what you're bringing before Jesus. Instead of just one lad with five loaves and two fish, we, we can all be like lads and say, Jesus, I have five loaves. Oh, Jesus, I have ten loaves. Jesus, I have one loaf. I have one fish. I have ten fish. It doesn't matter. Jesus, take what little I got. And if everybody did that, then Jesus steps in and he multiplies it. And he does amazing things to bring about an impact on people and to bring glory to him. I'll give you a, I'll give you a story. I didn't share this in the first service, but they said you guys like two-hour preaching in the second. And so um, with that, I, I felt the permission to, to go there. I'll tell you a story, true story, about our Christian school. Our Christian school started off with 39 students. Second year is 92 students. Third year went up to 200 and some students. Okay. Explosive growth. Uh, we're waiting list, I think, by the second or third year. Waiting lists. Uh, we still have waiting lists to this day to get into the school. We're now about 450 uh, students. Uh, um Association of Christian Schools International recently gave us, uh, or a few years ago actually, gave us um, accreditation. So that was a, that was a, a mark of, a seal of, of quality, of excellence. But in the course of that growth, we had to rent a, a new facility, a huge piece of property right in, in front of the, the uh, right beside the police station center of town. And we had, to, um, we had to actually start to build because we couldn't keep up. And we, we had started uh, pre-kinder all the way up to fourth grade. And we said with fourth grade that um, you know, we would add a grade every year all the way up to the end. So you know, every year you're adding like fifth grade and then you're adding sixth grade and so on and so forth. And so we got to a place where the buildings on that property couldn't hold everyone. And so we began to build on a rented property that we didn't own. And let me just tell you, that's not wise stewardship. No accountant here or any deacon is going to say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Go for that. Everybody's going to say, that's, that's bad news. Don't do that. And so we began to build. We put a couple hundred thousand dollars into property we didn't own. Lord, here's our loaves, here's our fish. We were told, there was somebody in the, the National League playoffs, I won't tell you who he was, but he was wanting to buy the property out from underneath of us. His lawyer came to the school one day because she was going to inform us that she was going to buy it. Now we've already invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in building the facility so that we could have this school and this major league ball player is going to buy it because he's going to tear it all down and make big apartments and all that. The lawyer comes, doesn't know anything about the school, comes on the property, learns about what we're doing and the lawyer goes back to the professional ball player who has untold millions of dollars and says, you don't want to buy that property. That's just going to cause you grief. They're doing a good work over there. And the lawyer, I am told, convinced the major league ball player not to buy the property out from underneath of us. But let me ask you, who's working on the heart behind the scenes? I believe it's Jesus. I believe God is working on on the hearts behind the scenes. So here's the thing, we, the owner said, look, you've got to buy this or we are putting it up for sale. We've rented it to you for several years and the price is $680,000. $680,000, I'm a missionary from West Virginia. I mean, truly, $680,000, I have no deep pockets, but I know someone who does. I'm telling you, I can say in boldness now, but we were worried then. $680,000. We raised a little bit. I think you all gave some. But we are still were four or $500,000 short. Really curious, out in Idaho, there was a missionary that's not even with our team. There was a missionary from San Pedro that was speaking at some sort of conference in Idaho. And there was a widow lady that was in that conference. And, and, um, and so this missionary for San Pedro was talking to her about education and all that. And she said, oh, I've always wanted to go overseas and teach. And so the missionary lady said, well, there's a Christian school in San Pedro. Now, we don't have any contacts in Idaho. So this isn't anything that we've published and, 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 and came up with a connection in the network. Somebody's outside of our ministry, tells about art school in the, Dominic- in the Dominican. And so this widow lady comes. So she's on the ground, walking to the grounds one day with the administrator. And the administrator says, I mean, she's had him a bad day because we just found out that the, the loan that we were going to get from the United States has fallen through. We were going to get about $400,000 and it's fell through. So our administrator is saying, Man, we're going to lose a school. And so this widow teacher from Idaho, whom we didn't even know before, and so now she's down here and is teaching. She says, she said, Lynn, is there any prayer requests you have for the school? And Lynn says, yeah, we just lost the loan. You know, we have this money to buy the school. We don't have the rest of it. We've put it up. We've put all this into the facilities. We're going to probably lose the school now. We have to tell the owners we can't buy it. She says, oh, well, I'll, I'll share it with my sister. Unbeknownst to us, her sister's husband was like a hedge fund manager in Dallas somewhere. And they just decided to give the school $400,000. $400,000. It didn't come from our network. It certainly didn't come from my preaching. It didn't come, it didn't come from our, our, our publication and, and slick, slick things that we try to do to help Jesus out. All we did was do all we could do and and say, Lord, here's our five loaves, our two fish. We believe in this. We're all in. And Jesus is the X factor, and he multiplied it, and he supplied. And let me tell you, he'll do it for you. He'll do it for you, and he'll do it for harvest. Not for you, but for his glory and for the impact of the nations. Let's pray. That is a, I'm not embellishing that story at all. I mean, I know sometimes, sometimes you hear whoppers. I'm not giving you a whopper. I'm telling you the truth. I've seen God supply in ways I can never imagine. All I'm asking you to do, and thank you for the extra time, all I'm asking you to do is just bring your loaves and fish to Jesus whatever that looks like in your life. And if you do not know Christ as your Savior, you don't have the bread of life. You're empty on the inside. And He is the satisfier of the soul. He died on the cross for you. He took your dead. So come to Christ. We're running long on time. After the service, if you'd like to speak to me or Pastor Allen or someone else, we want to help you. Let me close this out in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for how you have supplied for their needs. Oh, Lord, you, you helped them pay off this, this building. Praise the Lord for that. We praise you for that. Lord, they have been invested in missions and in our, in our ministry. and I thank you for that. I pray, Lord, as they look to the year ahead and the tremendous opportunity that, that you have placed Harvest in this position to make a, a global impact, and not just a, a, over the, overseas, but right here in this area. God, I pray that, symbolically speaking, that every, every person would just bring their loaves and fish and trust you. God, you want us all to get in on this. And Lord, for some, that, they need to get with it with their finances a little bit. Maybe reorganize some things. For others, Lord, it might not be the financial that you're speaking to them, but God, they, they've got time. They're, they're so busy and distracted with trinkets and toys and, and even good things, Lord. But Lord, you're asking them to bring their time or maybe it's their service. Everyone's important in the work. Everyone's important in the church body. And so, Lord, I pray that each one will respond as you would have them respond. Lord, I pray that we would see you just multiplying what you're doing. Lord, use Harvest. Use Pastor Allen and the pastoral team and the deacons and the whole church body to do a great work for your glory and the impact of the nation's. God, thank you. You're a good God. You're a generous God. And you you choose to let us be partners with you. It's an incredible thought. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity. Guide us now to our homes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.